When soon the soundless roar doth come, when drowseth matter's dreary drum, on shores of bliss, on booming breaks, all earth, all heaven, all body shakes. Courts bound to flesh are broken all Vibrations burst and meteors fall The hustling heart, the boasting breath No more shall cause the yogi's death darkness soft the star divine is seen aloft subconscious dreams have gone to bed tis then that one doth hear on spread oh upward climb the living tree of the spheres from home the mist of nature steers all things of earth and heaven declare home home resounding So I'm Nayaswami Gandev, and uh, 
I teach here at the Expanding Light and online, and our topic today is using the energies of the chakras for personal transformation. You know, so far we've, we've heard a lot about bringing the importance of bringing energy to the spiritual eye, the, the center of joy with, within the body, and some tools that could enable us to do that. But the question becomes, how? How are you going to use those tools to accomplish that? And what we're going to talk about today is, is awakening the chakras as a means of doing that. Now, the chakras are not asleep. Um, like rust and like karma, the chakras never sleep. <laughs> but awakening the chakras refers to bringing their energy, which is, tends to flow outward in dissipation, bring that energy back into the chakra and up through the chakras. And if we can actually sort of metaphorically get our hands on the energy and, and make that happen, uh, that's wonderful, but even if we can't, we can use the positive qualities associated with each chakra as a means of accomplishing the same thing. And in fact, without those positive qualities only going only at the level of moving energy, we won't be able to do what we're trying to do. And this, this correspondence, Jyotish referred to this correspondence between positive qualities and energy movement on Monday, I want to give the example of when you're trying to control outward circumstances. For example, if you're trying to control another person against his will. You know, has anybody ever tried that? Here? No, probably not you, but you probably know people who have done that. And you could, if, you, if you try to do that, and the harder you have to work at doing that, the more you can feel a, a flood of energy coming out from third chakra outward. On the other hand, if you practice self-control, even a little bit of self-control, that there's a sensation, there can be a sensation of energy moving inward and upward at that third chakra. So the reverse is also true. If we can make energy move inward and upward at a chakra, we can more easily tune in to the positive qualities that are associated with that chakra. So this, this correspondence between energy movement at a chakra and the positive qualities of the chakra is really a key element in working with the chakras for personal transformation. Melody is going to talk about chakras one and two, how to work with them. Diksha is going to talk about working with the third and fourth chakras. I'm going to talk about working with the fifth and sixth. And nobody's going to talk about working with the seventh, the chakra of liberation, because you don't really work with that chakra so much as work toward that chakra by bringing energy to the point between the eyebrows, that center of bliss within the body. Thank you, Gandev, for that introduction, and good morning, everyone. My name is Melody. I live here at Ananda Village and also serve at the Expanding Light Retreat. I'm grateful that I get to speak before my friends, Gandev and Diksha, so that I can relax and listen to what they have to say afterwards. Insecurity, that is the first chakra speaking to me right now. <clears throat> 
Well, I was surprised and then not surprised to be asked to speak upon this subject because I've actually been studying the chakra, the chakras more deeply than I ever really have this year in preparation for a yoga-related project. And so the two ways that I've really been diving deeper in the chakras have uh, first been by reading the uh, writings by Savitri Simpson, who's done a fantastic job of gathering what Swami and Master have written on this subject, and they've really put it in, or she's really put it in a format that's clear, easy to understand, and most, uh, and most importantly, applicable to our daily lives. I've always wondered how knowing about the chakras could help me to grow spiritually. And so, as we'll hear this morning, uh, having a basic knowledge of the chakras can not only help us to live more balanced lives, but clear a, uh, a pathway to self-realization. The other way I've been getting in touch with the chakras is really the best way, which is to meditate more deeply. Uh, through the practice of Kriya Yoga, I've really um, found that it's so helpful for contacting those subtle energies. And as Gyandev and Jyotish have already mentioned, our energy is used to flowing out to the periphery of the body where it animates the senses. That's where it spends a lot of its time. And what that does is it shuts off our inner universe. And so when we take that time to withdraw the prana, the life force, into our center, the chakras really come alive. They begin to reveal their beauty, their divine qualities to us, which are really just aspects of our own being. I remember when I first learned about the chakras, it was actually at an Expanding Light program, and I remember being thrilled to learn that this uh, system of light exists within me, but also everyone around me. It gave me a sense of hope for humanity because... <laughs> Even though there are many people on this planet who are confused about their purpose in life or the purpose of life, uh, underneath those layers of confusion is the map and the guideposts to follow along the path of inner awakening. And think about how many lives it has taken us to become aware of the chakras. As Anandi said yesterday, our goal must be very near. And so the world of maya and duality are set up in such a way that we can never find lasting fulfillment outside of ourselves. Uh, Master said to seek happiness outside ourselves is like trying to lasso a cloud. <laughs> happiness is not a thing. It is a state of mind. It must be lived. Isn't that interesting? Happiness is a state of mind. So I think this is why it's so important to work with the attitudes of the chakras, the positive and negative qualities. As Gyandev said, they're directly linked to our energy flow patterns. As Swamiji actually encouraged us to think of the attitudes as energy flow patterns. Because when we think and behave in a certain way over a long period of time, we develop habits. And those habits create energy flow patterns which are stored within the chakras. Some of those mental tendencies can become fixed patterns of behavior which are difficult to change. 
And when changes are needed in our lives, the most efficient place to begin is actually on the subtle energy level within the chakras. A lot of um, emphasis is put on the mind and body connection in the yoga world today, but very few people recognize that it's energy which links the two. And so if they acknowledge this, it kind of remains sort of an abstract concept because people don't have the incredible techniques that we do on this path for working directly with the life force. And so let's look at the energies of the first chakra, the coccyx center, muladhara chakra, at the base of the spine. This chakra governs our lower extremities and when the energy is being positively directed through this chakra, we feel grounded, stable, secure in ourselves. We have a clear direction and purpose in life. We can think of the first chakra as our spiritual foundation. If we want to live in the higher chakras and experience spiritual freedom, we need a strong foundation to begin with. And that foundation is truth. A friend of mine who lives here now shared with me a very inspiring story about how she chose to live here. She was living in Los Angeles years ago, and she came up to take our Ananda Yoga teacher training program. And after that transformative experience, Swami Kriyananda happened to be giving the talk at Sunday service that day on the last day of the program. She was so inspired and uplifted after hearing him speak that she felt she really needed to know if she should move here. And so she asked God for a sign. She prayed inwardly, Okay, God, if I am to live here, if Ananda is my spiritual family, then when Swami Kriyananda comes out into the dining room, he needs to make eye contact with me for three whole seconds. <laughs> So that was her proposal to God. Um, the dining room and the temple were packed with people, and she was actually at the back of the crowd. So she wasn't sure if Swami would be able to see her or find her. But when Swamiji came out into the dining room, he paused at the top of the stairs, and he started to look around as though looking for something or for someone. And then their eyes met for one, two three whole seconds, and he continued on. Tears streamed down this woman's face. She knew she had received her response, and she moved here and has been here ever since. And so when we cling to truth, when we align our energies with our spiritual teachers, with God and the guru, they respond sometimes instantly, with uh, a blessing. They bless us in return with the strength and the courage to embark upon the spiritual path because we can't do it alone. We need the help and the guidance of someone who already knows the way. And Swami actually said it takes very good karma to remain on the spiritual path for one entire lifetime. And so it, uh, it isn't easy, but if we remember to offer the energies of the first chakra inwards and upwards, then we will remain steadfast, determined, and unwavering in our commitment to this path. So that day after day after day, we begin to realize that God is all we really want.
And so how can we deepen our dedication to this path, to the spiritual life? If you're new to these teachings, which I know is the minority here today, might I suggest that you pray in a similar way as my friend had? Ask for a sign. Is this my spiritual path? And see if the universe doesn't respond. And then make that first step to claim it as your own. If we're already committed to this path, how can we deepen our convictions during this week and onwards? I think it was a couple of years ago at Spiritual Renewal Week that Gyandev mentioned the concept of doing 1% more in our sadhana, and our service. This really resonated with me because as a parent of a toddler, I found myself wishing that I could get up earlier and meditate longer, but the leap seemed so great that I didn't make the necessary changes in my life to make that happen. But when I heard this idea of just doing 1% more, I knew I could handle that. And so I found that I was waking up five minutes earlier, meditating five minutes longer. And over time, that momentum really built up, and I found that I was deepening my practices. Um, and so how can we do this? Maybe you can all think of specifics in your own life, especially when you sit to meditate, if you're feeling uninspired. Uh, for me, what makes the switch is chanting, maybe learning a new chant that will uh, open my heart, read words from Master Swamiji, and it makes all the difference in uh our ability to concentrate, which is another positive attribute of the first chakra. And so the positive upward flowing energies of the first chakra help us to develop strong habits of discipline. But if we let the energies remain in the first chakra, in other words, we don't offer them inwards and upwards, then we can start to be uh, too devoted to our routines, our habits can control us, and we can get mechanical in our practices. So they're going to lack an intuitive flow. And they will not uh, bring a divine response. Master said, more confining than stone walls are the prison bars of habit. And he certainly broke through those bars. And so how can we uh, look at our habits this week. Maybe we can all just choose one that is no longer serving us and replace it with one that is beneficial or positive. The element of earth is the nature of the coccyx center. And earth can be strong and moving, uh, firm, all great qualities for the yogi to develop. But if those energies remain stagnant, then uh, we can become fixed, uh, dogmatic, and stuck in our ways. This means when the inevitable changes come along in life, if we're rigid, inflexible, unwilling to change, change is going to feel painful because we're resisting it. We cause friction. The image that came to my mind was um, of a cube or block of dirt, earth, and um, that soil has become dry, dense, and heavy. And if Divine Mother comes along and asks us to change our shape, grow, uh, 
She's going to need a pickaxe or even a sledgehammer to break through that old form, isn't she? And that's why change can feel painful at first. But all she's really trying to do is help us to change those old thought patterns, those old habits, so that she can pour into our lives her grace, her flowing waters of beauty, uh, flexibility, and fluidity, so that we can grow. That soil that was once dry and dense can become fertile again, and she can plant her seeds of beauty, creativity, and abundance into our lives. So instead of dwelling on those negative downward pulling qualities of the first chakra, let's offer those energies upwards into the positive qualities of the second chakra, the sacral center, Swadhisthana. This is located just an inch and a half above the uh, coccyx center, and it's in charge of our reproductive organs, the whole pelvic region. And when the energies are flowing upwards in this uh, sacral center, we are fluid, flexible, and adaptable in life. We're willing to change and grow under all circumstances. Speaking of change, uh, when my husband and I welcomed our son into the world four and a half years ago, that was probably the biggest change we'd ever experienced individually and as a couple. <laughs> And uh, our son was born in the morning at Ananda Village. And after our midwives had left, uh, I wasn't really able to take a nap just because I was in awe of this beautiful child and also somewhat shocked at how much our lives had just drastically changed overnight. And so I kind of looked at my partner, Kalidas, as if to say, what now? <laughs> and in that moment, he started to practice the energization exercises. <laughs> and that was such an inspiring moment for me, not just then, but more so now as I reflect back on it, because that was a pivotal point for us. We could have easily let our practices slip that day, that week, even that year, because of the many challenges and uncertainties that come along with raising a child. But we decided to stay firm in our regular practice of Kriya Yoga, and I'm so grateful that we did because it really has been the rock that we've built our lives upon here at Ananda. Without it, I don't know where we would be now. Um, and so even though our Sadhana, the outward form, really changed that day onwards. Uh, it, the duration certainly decreased and has fluctuated quite a bit. We stayed firm in our resolutions. And that first meditation as parents was in our living room. I was reclined in bed next to our new child. And I remember just feeling the blessings in that very short five-minute meditation because I offered up what little energy I had left in this body after giving birth and um, offered it to the point between the eyebrows. And I just felt Divine Mother's grace. It reminded me, oh, yes, Divine Mother just gave birth to this child. Divine Mother gives us all life. She's the one who gave us this roof over our head. And so parenthood has really uh, forced me to broaden my view of what it means to be spiritual because I've had to bring God into my daily life. 
uh, if I had any fixed idea that God can only be contacted in the meditation room, that has been shattered through the trials of parenthood. <laughs> and so uh, sadhana has really become for me a practice of remembrance. And I take the time to draw upon God's presence, which is always there. I just need to remember. And I close my eyes and withdraw from this world even for a moment it can take me to the heart of what a long meditation would have done. And so we're so grateful to have the support here in this community. I can't imagine being parents out there. Uh, <laughs> but um, just to say, we're glad that we started this uh, habit early on in our son's life because now he actually... Uh, not only understands that meditation is a part of our daily routine, but he respects it. He knows that mom and dad have to have their turn to meditate before we go out on our day's journey. <laughs> and sometimes he'll play quietly next to one of us waiting, or he'll even sit in our lap as he did this morning. And it's just so beautiful to share that space together. And so even the watery element <clears throat> of the second chakra needs to be directed because if it isn't, then we'll be swayed by every single change that comes to us in life. Every challenge can knock us off our center. If we become too easygoing, uh, the watery element can overflow, it can spill out and cause a current that leads us downstream, eventually away from our ideals, our habits, and the spiritual path. And so in addition to being able to flow with life's changes, other positive attributes of the second chakra are creativity and intuition. Master defined intuition as the soul's power of knowing God. And Swamiji explains that true intuition actually has its beginnings in the first and second chakras because we first need to have clarity, strength of purpose, and centeredness before we can practice true discrimination, which is to say understanding what's spiritually beneficial or spiritually harmful to us. One of the things I've so loved about being at a Ananda village is the amount of creativity that is expressed here. This incredible altar is one of those examples of someone who tuned into a divine inspiration and chose to share it, and now all of us are uplifted by it. So our creative ideas uh, feed each other. And I'm also amazed at how much our elders have uh, given the young generation just the freedom to lead projects, to uh, come up with fresh ways to share these teachings. Of course, they've given us some guidelines, which is basically stay in tune <laughs> as you do those things. Um, but just to say if everything was done the same way all of the time, we wouldn't get all these opportunities to practice using that God-given power of intuition. We need to make mistakes on our own and learn from them. We need to decipher between right and wrong. Was I in tune when I did that? How can I 
be more of a channel next time? How can I depend on God's creative plan versus just what the ego wants to share? And I can't say how much I've grown from these opportunities. I feel like it's a miracle that I'm even standing up here today. So um, I just want to express my gratitude to our longtime Ananda members who have so willingly passed on the baton that Swami Kriyananda once gave them. So I wanted to close with a short story and a mini visualization for the first and second chakras. So this story is about a monk that Swami Kriyananda knew many years ago who really exemplifies the quality of being able to flow with life's challenges. So this monk was planning to um, travel by train in India. And so he bought his train ticket and he walked confidently through the gates toward the waiting train. The ticket collector who was there assumed that this monk was another freeloader who just wanted a free ride. And so he aggressively grabbed this monk, um, keeping him from boarding the train. Now, let's think how we would react in this situation. We've just been unjustly physically assaulted. Uh, I think very few of us would have reacted in the way that this man did, which was to simply relax and accept uh, what was happening. He was so free in his consciousness that from one second to the next, he was able to adapt to a new reality. And the shape of that reality didn't matter to him at all. And so the water element of our consciousness, the ability to flow with life's constant changes, can help us to find that freedom. So let's close our eyes for a brief moment. Let's plant our feet to the earth. Feel your sit bones grounded down as you lengthen up through your spine. And lift your gaze to the point between the eyebrows. From that point, send a searchlight of awareness down to the coccyx center, Muladhara Chakra. Feel your energies gathering there. And let's imagine that we are a rock in a stream. As the river, the stream flows around us, we stand forever firm, steady, unmoving, centered in ourselves with a strength of purpose. And now with your breath, try to offer the energies from the root chakra up to the sacral center, just an inch and a half above Swadhisthana. Feel your energies gathering there around the reproductive organs. And let's now imagine that we are that flowing stream moving in an upward direction. That stream becomes a river and the river flows around you. Whatever comes, let it come. Whatever passes by you, let it pass. Offer everything that you are into that flow and let it be taken away. You are free and complete in yourself. 
your life keeps flowing onward toward the sea, toward the vast ocean of cosmic consciousness. Om peace. Amen.